Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Amen. Well, we've been on a journey, right? And we have uh, <laughs> rapidly walked through the Old Testament. We hit the Kings, and some of you were still in Samuel. And we hit the Kings and the Minor Prophets, the Major Prophets, and the Exiles and all those different things. Let me just give you a, a track record of kind of where we've been Uh, Because when we talk about the Old Testament and the story of Israel, uh, all set in the context of Jesus being the hero of history, we're talking about all the way back in the garden when sin took place, when Adam chose to sin, and as a result, all of humanity has now been under that curse. Uh, We know that the gospel was proclaimed at the very beginning, where the seed would come whose heel would be bruised but would crush the head of the serpent. We know that the Lord already had a plan in place, knowing ahead of time that Adam and Eve would choose to do what they had done, and as a result, he would have to come, he would have to go to the cross in order that humanity might be rescued. We see it even in the garments created for Adam and Eve, depicting the covering and the need of a blood sacrifice. Very early on, we recognize that blood was necessary in order for forgiveness uh, to be implemented. We see the picture of the ark as a type of Christ, the salvation, uh, the absolute hedonism and the materialism and the complete godlessness of those people. We see the righteousness of Noah. Abraham comes on the scene and it's very clear, one of the most important statements about Abraham is that he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. All the way through, Scripture, we see grace and faith. We see the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of a seed, which Paul explains very clearly, is not just Abraham's descendants, but rather a seed, singular, which is Christ, who has now come, through whom all the nations would be blessed. We see the salvation from Egypt of the nation of Israel, the Passover lamb, and the picture of salvation as they are covered by the blood and as they are rescued from the death angel and then as they come through the sea and in effect are baptized into Moses, this picture of them believing in the coming Messiah. We see the sacrificial system and the temple established in order to help give a picture of the coming lamb of God who was not an animal, but rather is a perfect, sinless, spotless lamb who once and for all is able to pay for the sin of the world. We see the law given, not as a ladder to climb in order to get to God to prove our righteousness and or our worth, but rather the very opposite, to show the need of a Savior, to show the fact that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we strive, no matter what good intentions we may have, we will never, in and of our own strength, measure up to the righteous standard of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are desperate in need of his salvation that he provides for all freely. But his exclusive demand is that it is only through the lamb, it is only through the Lord Jesus Christ that one may come to the Father. We see the Davidic covenant of David's seed ruling from Jerusalem, the kings and the exiles that go to Assyria and Babylon with all the prophecies in Isaiah, etc., about the coming Messiah and the millennium. It's interesting that when they began to prophesy about the coming millennium, 
They began to look forward into the history future that they were being given insight into. And in the midst of all of that, they did not recognize, they were not told there's a mystery here that Paul speaks of, which is the church, the body of Christ. Salvation by grace through faith alone would bring a people into a covenant relationship with the Lord and one another as the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. We are one in Christ as a result of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and because of what he did for us at the cross, having the opportunity, the privilege, and the responsibility in Christ to walk as children of light. The revelation of God to humanity through every age with regard to salvation is always, in effect, two parts. It doesn't matter whether you want to start with Adam or whether you want to start with the age of uh, the Gentiles in the sense of pre-Noahic flood, whether you want to start with Abraham. It doesn't matter what age you want to go to. Sin is a part of the story of humanity. And salvation provided by God himself is necessary for every human being because every human being is separated from God as a result of sin. And secondly, no matter what age you want to talk about, no matter where you want to go in human history, the grace through faith alone is how salvation is given and or received and again, I go back to Abraham before, 400 years before the law was even given, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul uses that as an establishment of the fact that faith, it is through faith, by believing, by being persuaded that God has provided something for us that alone is sufficient for the forgiveness of our sin, for the salvation of our soul. What we're about to embark on in the New Testament is a, is a fascinating thing because this is a journey. This is a, a broad sweep of all of human history when it comes uh, from biblical perspective. It's the greatest rescue mission in human history. Think about that. From the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, and he created them male and female, and he created them in the garden, he created them good, he created them, and I would suggest, innocent plus, right? They still had the decision to make. They set up a test. God set up a test. Don't eat of this particular tree. And they chose not to do that. And as a result, the whole human race and even creation has been placed under the consequence of sin. But from the very beginning... The Lord knew that he would need to send his own son to go to the cross in order to provide salvation for each and every human being on this earth. Not everybody's saved because not everybody believes. But the promise is very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. What a hope. What an assurance. The greatest rescue mission <laughs> Jesus Christ leaving glory in order to become a man, in order to go to the cross. In the darkness, because from the last known revelation of God to the point where the announcement about Jesus Christ is made in that particular period of time, we have about 400 years of darkness. And in the darkness 
comes this amazing moment of God's revelation of all that he had promised of the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord Jesus himself to provide salvation for humanity. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and following says this, when the fullness of the time came at the right time. And folks, when we talk about God's time, we're talking about specific time. We're not talking about one nanosecond early, one not, not one nanosecond late. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. For what reason? So that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. What a beautiful truth. Christ entered into human history. If I had time, we would walk again through John chapter 1, verses 1 and following and discuss the fact that John begins his entire gospel in a unique way compared to the synoptic gospels, compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to where he goes to eternity past and he in effect states that this Jesus, the Logos, the Word of God, is the eternal Word of God. He is equal to the Father, face to face with the Father, and at one particular moment in time, entered into human history so that grace and truth would be realized through him. What an amazing story. Christmas in July. Love it. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 and following. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And in Acts chapter 17, verses 2 and following, it says, According to Paul's custom, he went to them as he went on his missionary journeys. And for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ, is the Messiah. The good news of God's grace The provision of salvation has been prophesied about from the very beginning of time. And now we see in the Gospels the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hero of history enters into the stage in a way that is real, as tangible, that can be seen and recognized. When we talk about the Gospels, we talk about The four different Gospels. We're talking about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels. We're talking about John, which is a unique Gospel. I believe John was able to read the first three Gospels, and he, in effect, was led by the Holy Spirit in order to fill what he considered were important gaps in the message. We've got a wonderful chart that really does portray Uh, the uniquenesses of each of the Gospels, and we'd be happy to send that to you if you're interested in it. Each of the writers had a unique perspective. They had a unique way of sharing the story. And when we begin to look at what they had to say, we begin to look at the stories of the life of Christ. We begin to look at the purpose of why Jesus came. We begin to understand that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man. He's the unique Son of God. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the unique one in human history. There's never been somebody like him. There will never be somebody like him again. He's the unique one. 
John chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. John puts it this way, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, he has, Jesus has, explained him. I like these words because they're important. The only begotten in monogenes, it literally means the only one of his kind. He's unique. Nobody else like him. Folks, do we realize that Jesus Christ came in the likeness of humanity? What's the difference? Was he human? Absolutely, 100%. Was he God? Absolutely, 100%. What's the difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and us? He had no sin nature. Had no sin nature. He was born of a virgin. He had no sin nature. And when we talk about the fact that he has come in order to explain God... No one has seen God at any time. No one has seen him physically and or perceived the reality of the truth of who he is. We get a picture of it in nature. We get a sense that he's an all-powerful God, no question. But the reality of who Jesus Christ is, who the Father is, as seen through Jesus Christ, recognized by him, nobody has seen. Nobody could come up with it. Nobody could even perceive it because God is God and we're not. Jesus Christ came in order to explain. That word explain means exegete. To bring him up, to recognize, to see who he really is. Jesus Christ, the hero of history, the unique son of God who alone is able to save. This morning I want to give you 333 reasons why Jesus Christ is the savior. (laughs) I knew you'd laugh about that. I just did. I had a lot of fun laughing about that at home, thinking about you laughing about that. I really did. No. We got all kinds of prophecies in Scripture, right? And I'm going to give you several reasons why Jesus Christ is the unique one. And next week and the week after, we're going to look at the life of Christ and the parables and and some of the the miracles that he he partook in and that he accomplished. We're going to look at... The last week as he went to the cross. And the fifth Sunday from now, we're going to look at the resurrection. The the singular, most important aspect of our faith. But today, let's, let's focus in on his identity. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? The unique one, the Son of God, who alone is able to save. Well, how do we know that? Well, I would suggest to you, first and foremost, that there are 333 Old Testament prophecies about Christ. You can look up Josh McDowell. You can look up all kinds of different individuals on this. Fascinating. There's some wonderful charts. I know you can't read that, so please don't tell me that uh, it was too small writing. I know. We just wanted to get it up here so that you got impacted by the number of prophecies. 333, folks. Every one of them fulfilled. The vast majority of them, over 400 years before the Lord even came on the scene. Multiple prophets and authors. You can't make this up. Nobody could make this up. Only God could accomplish this. 
There are prophecies about the fact that he was to be born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where he was to be born in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, that he would be called Emmanuel, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, how much money he would be betrayed for, 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13, how he would die. And by the way, crucifixion hadn't even been uh, invented at that point in Isaiah 53, 12. The resurrection, that he would not suffer decay. Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 10. We could go on and on and on about these prophecies. Let me give you a couple pictures of this because it's incalculable. It's mind-boggling. People want to say, oh, he's a good guy. Look, folks, let's, let's be real clear about this, right? Jesus, as C.S. Lewis put it, I think, well, could only be one of three things. He's even a tick. He declared himself to be God, and he was nuts. Right? I mean, other people have declared themselves to be gods, and, and clearly they're not. They're crazy. He's either a lunatic, he's a liar. You could say he's a good guy. Oh, he's morally good. Do you know how many people have died in the name of Christ? Including his own closest disciples, you think a good guy would continue to foster a lie and allow people around him to die for something that he has said that is not true? That's not a good guy. That's a liar. Or third, what? You know this. He's Lord. He is who he says he is. Folks, when we talk about 333 prophecies, not to mention all the miracles that he accomplished, not to mention the fact that he rose again from the dead. When we talk about all this stuff, it is incalculable the fact that this is the Son of God, the unique one who has come in order to save the world. Peter Stoner wrote a book years ago called Science Speaks. And I want to share this with you because it's just amazing to me. He says, if you mark one of ten tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. Now, for mathematically challenged individuals, I praise God because I got that one. Okay, I get that. But here's where it gets really interesting. And I could go on and on about this because he's got a whole bunch of this stuff. But let's just take the simplest one. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. Now, silver dollar, right? It's not very big. Lay them on on the face of Texas. They'll cover all of the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes. But he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote them in their own wisdom. Eight! 333! Let me give you another picture of this. Suppose that there were only 50 prophecies in the Old Testament instead of 333 concerning the first advent of Christ, giving details of the coming Messiah and all meet in the person of Jesus. The probability of chance fulfillment 
as calculated by mathematicians according to the theory of probabilities is less than 1 in 1.125 with 369.12 zeros after it. You come up with what that number is. I don't deal in numbers like that, right? Now I add only two more elements to those 50 prophecies and fix the time and place at which they must happen and the immense improbability that they will take place by chance exceeds all the power of numbers to express. In, order, in other words, it is such a vast number that the human mind cannot even begin to understand it. 50. Folks, 333 prophecies have been fulfilled in the person of Christ. It is incalculable. He is the one true son of God who came to this earth in order to go to the cross so that we, by believing in heaven and receiving it's inarguable. Secondly, but we also you can your own blanks. But I love the wise men, the magi. Don't you? I mean, I love that point where they come and they, they worship the Lord. We'll look at that in a second. But where did they come from? Well, and how did they know? Did they, did they just randomly look up and they saw some star and went, oh, wow, look at that thing. Oh, it's shining so pretty. No. Don't you realize that they studied the book of Daniel? And they looked at Daniel's prophecies and they recognized the one prophecy which said that from the, the decree to Jerusalem to the time of Messiah, the prince, is 69 weeks. And they knew exactly how to calculate this. So as they relate it, and anticipate it, and shut up. Matthew chapter verse 1, 2, after this was about Judah, the king, Magi, and other things. From the east arrived, where is he? And then Christ has been born and you don't even know anything about it. For we saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, here's the prophecy. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. Each week is a, a particular day. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. They knew exactly when Messiah was coming. It's one of the most phenomenal prophecies in the Old Testament. No question about it. In history. Because it was so precise with regard to the actual day that Messiah was going to come. You cannot even probably calculate the improbability that that was false. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, the Magi are sent on their way by Herod. And it says this, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They worshipped him. They recognized this was no ordinary child. Herod and this again was prophesied in Jeremiah 31:15, finding out from the scribes about the prophesied place of the Lord's birth, which is Bethlehem, orders every male child two years old and younger to be killed in Bethlehem and its vicinity. Absolute wickedness. But it was prophesied. There's John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist, what an interesting dude that is, right? Eating locusts. I don't know where to go with that. It's protein. <laughs> honey I like. <laughs> uh, honey on ice cream, man. Yeah, I don't like ice cream without chocolate ice cream with honey. It's the best. Hey, you eat weird stuff too, so just relax, you know? His miraculous birth, John the Baptist, right? Elizabeth and Zacharias and Luke 1.7 were told that they were advanced in years and that Elizabeth was barren. Think about that. This is a miraculous birth. Luke 1.17, Gabriel begins to tell Zacharias what his son would be. He's one who would come as a forerunner of the Christ, the Messiah, in the spirit of Elijah. Zacharias doesn't believe him. He says, how in the world is this going to happen? We're old. We can't have kids. He says, well, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God Almighty, and I was sent in order to give you this message. And just to verify, you're not going to be able to speak until after this child's born, you know? <laughs> I think Zacharias really regretted that one, you know? Amazing. What did John the Baptist say of the Lord? Because he's a unique guy. What did he say? Mark chapter 1, verses 7 through 8, he says he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow. John the Baptist's testimony about the Christ, about his own cousin, the fact that he is mightier than me. I, I don't even deserve to tie his sandals. Well, there's the virgin birth. There's the genealogies. There, there's the announcements. Both Matthew and Luke have genealogies, one depicting Joseph, the other from Mary, both coming back to David, which David had been told would take place. There's the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary that she was to give birth to a child. And she said, how, how can this be? I'm Never been with a man. There's the leaping of John the Baptist within Elizabeth upon Mary's arrival. What a beautiful picture that is. Right? Elizabeth had been barren. She's now carrying child. She hadn't even felt the child move. When Mary shows up, inside her, John begins to leap. <laughs> what? It's incredible, isn't it? There's the angels letting the shepherds know that a Savior had been born for them in Bethlehem, who is Christ the Lord in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Wouldn't you pay money to have watched their faces? I would absolutely love to see that. Again, one day we're going to get a full HD hologram, something beyond belief that we're going to get to watch this stuff. And I want to see these guys' faces when that angel showed up and then the whole host of angels show up. What's the first thing the angel said to him? Fear not. Why? <laughs> There's a reason, you know. They go and they worship the king, shepherds. There's Simeon and Anna, who were older. Simeon had been told, you, you're not going to die until you see the glory of Israel. The pronouncements by them about who Jesus truly is. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and verse 36, you can read that beautiful pictures of Prophecies fulfilled of recognition of the identity that this is no ordinary human being. This is the unique, one-of-a-kind Son of God sent in order to save. After Jesus' circumcision, they leave Jerusalem. 
They go on to Nazareth in Galilee, their home city. And in Luke 2.40, we're told the child continued to grow and becoming strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We have all these announcements. We have these genealogies. We have these pronouncements. We have these miraculous events that surround him. We have all these prophecies. It's amazing. Fifth, the 12-year-old in the temple. Every year, Joseph and Mary would go to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. And when Jesus became 12, he goes with them. And they lose him for three days and find him in the temple. (laughs) Can you imagine Mary's panic, Joseph's panic? Right, They're headed back. They think Jesus is in the caravan with them, and he's nowhere to be found. So they go sprinting back to Jerusalem, which thankfully wasn't terribly far from Bethlehem. They search the whole city for him. Where do they find him? In Luke chapter 2, verses 46 and following, it says, And after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. You catch that? Twelve years old. Scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all those who were learned, sitting in the temple. And the Lord is absolutely surprising them at 12 years old with his questions and his answers, his understanding. When they saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have become, been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be where? In my father's house. Folks, do you think the Lord Jesus Christ knew exactly who he was, why he had been sent? I would say absolutely yes to that. He didn't have an identity crisis. There are statements by the Father concerning the Son at his baptism and the transfiguration in Luke chapter 3, and you can find this in Matthew and Mark as well, but Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and following, says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Or had his transfiguration, where Peter constantly taking both feet out of his mouth, forget the one, he was a full-fledged foot eater. God bless him. I can't wait to meet Peter. Can you? Hey, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We'll make some tents for you guys, and we'll just stay. And while he's saying that, I think that was really funny. One of the, one of the uh, uh, stories has it. While Peter is saying this, the, the father, it's kind of like, ah, be quiet. I'm still in a bright outer shadow of the whole of its son with I'm well him. Many of you one last because at his baptism and at the teach, he goes through these and begins publishing. We have all the amazing things take place. The most amazing, unique moments without a doubt in himself. Indologically, but think something on this one. Jesus Christ could never have sinned because he's the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, and he did not have a sin nature in him, that when Satan put the magnet of temptation up to him, that there was anything in Christ to be attracted to that magnet. I know the verse in Hebrews where it says he was tempted at all points, even as we are, yet without sin. I fully understand that. Satan did everything that he could in order to cause Christ to fall. The purpose of the temptation 
is to show us that Jesus is worthy to go to the cross. That he is the spotless Lamb of God who can pay for our sin. He can defeat our sin. We rely upon him to do so. If there had been something in him that had been attracted to what Satan was trying to pull out of him, then he was not worthy to go to the cross to shed the spotless blood in order for forgiveness to be made for us. But praise God. He was confirmed in righteousness. He is God, a very God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the unique one. He came in the likeness of man. And the difference is that he did not have a sin nature. He is righteous. See, when we understand temptation, we got to go to James. And something outside of us begins to attract something that's in us to be pulled out. When Satan tempts or when the world system is attractive to us, then something outside of us is tugging on something within us. We've got metal in us and there is a magnet outside of us and it is attracted. And what do we do with that? Do we say, well, I'm just going to do what Jesus did? No, friend. We run to Jesus and say, you do what you alone can do. Of course we run to the word of God. But we run to the Lord who alone is able to overcome our sin. Because he alone can overcome our sin. Friends, understand that Jesus Christ is the unique son of God. There's no one else like him before or ever after. He is the hero of history. And when we talk about who he is, we talk about his identity. He alone is worthy to go to the cross in order to shed his blood so that we, through faith, by believing in him, by being persuaded that he is the only way, may receive the salvation that he's promised to us when we believe. Folks, the gospels... (laughs) are all about that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote what they wrote. They were writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in order to reveal to all of humanity. When John wrote what he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was writing what he wrote in order to reveal to all of us that Jesus Christ is the only begotten of the Father and that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, period. Do you believe that today? Are we walking in that today? Folks, in our time of darkness, we need to walk as children of light because this is the greatest message. This is truth. And Jesus Christ is truly the hero of history. Are we willing to follow him? Are we willing to walk with him? Is everything about our lives yielded to him and him alone? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.